Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awakening Universal Minds. My name is uh, Brother Beniti, a.k.a. Brother Michael. Uh, let me get Brother Ravana Noon plugged in here. Hold on a second, make sure I got him. Brother Ravana Noon, can you hear me? Ravana Noon, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here, bro. Oh, okay, couldn't hear you. All right, so we got Brother Ramon Noon here. Uh, again, we want to welcome everybody to the show. It is Thursday, January 18th, 2018. Um, if you are a first-time listener or first time tuning in, uh, just so you know, this is a, a left-hand path origin of ancient Egypt, um, occult, metaphysical, uh, dark arts, Adept to the Black Arts, African Witchcraft, Sorcery, uh, Sith Practices, Methodology, uh, any area of the occult, the Dark Arts, or what's termed the left-hand path, um, these are the topics and the subjects that we discuss on this show. So if you are a first-time listener, we just want to make sure you're aware of what you're tuning into and listening to. If that's not for you, uh, now would probably be the time to go ahead and then 
exit the show. Uh, it's not a religious show. Uh, we do not succumb to any specific ideology, philosophy, faith, religion. We do not uh, or, or, or are not here to promote any specific dogma, organization, uh, leader, cult leaders, um, Mickey Mouse clubs, as we like to call them. Um, so we're not here promoting any organization, and we're not here, again, trying to recruit or have you join or sign up for anything. It's very important you understand that. Um, any group organization that has a philosophy, a doctrine that claims it's the only truth in the entire universe, and as we know, there's many different universes or multiverses, uh, stay far away from that group organization and so-called leader. Um, as we've said numerous times over the last couple of years as we've been on the air, the day of the conscious pimp is over. If you're still following one individual and a part of some group thinking that they have the soul salvation and the only truth, then you're, you're just as whacked out or crazy as the cult leader. Um, we're not interested in your religious opinions, faith, or belief systems. This is a show that deals with the path of the word that everybody misses, self-mastery. Um, that's what the left-hand path is about. It's about a path of self-mastery, you finding the particular path that works for you. There is no right or wrong. There is no uh, manual that somebody's going to put in your hands and hand to you where you're going to be able to just follow the manual. Um, this path is about you creating, again, what you need or what suits your needs uh, to develop that particular spiritual path. Our job is just to share the information, expound on certain topics, and hopefully push and motivate you to have your own experience. Um, the things we talk about on this show, um, again, myself and Brother Ramana Noon, we are coming from experience. We're not talking from just, again, reading books, uh, attending lectures, or watching videos on YouTube. Um, the things we speak about on the show is from personal experience. Uh, when you hear us talk about such things that we have experienced in the past, such as being Freemasonry, uh, Rosicrucian Order, OTO, um, the Shriners, uh, being initiated in uh, IFA, Apollo, things of that nature, um, we're, we're utilizing our experiences in that to share it with you. Again, not for you to follow what we do, so to encourage you and motivate you to have your own experience. And again, we don't bring up that stuff because we're saying it's mandatory for you to be initiated or join any of those particular uh, esoterical or philosophical orders because we get emails all the time. Should I, I get emails all the time. Should I join OTO? I'm, I, we don't tell people what to do and not to do. So we want to make that clear. That decision is entirely up to you. Um, if you feel any of the aforementioned things that you, you're willing to experience that to gain the knowledge and the wisdom to grow, then that's fine. Uh, we do suggest that when you're teaching on certain subjects, because one thing that motivated us to start this show a few years ago was, you know, there's a lot of YouTube scholars, unfortunately, and there's a lot of Google scholars and social media scholars on Facebook uh, that absolutely have no idea what they're talking about. And myself and Brother Ron Anun, who have been initiated in, in a lot of these orders, we can just sit, listen, and watch and just tell that basically they're just taking excerpts of stuff that they read or stuff that they heard um, and not speaking from an experience-based perspective. So if it is your, you know, desire to teach on those subjects, um, again, you should have some type of experience in that field other than just reading other people's sources because 80% of the stuff you read on masonry is a bunch of bullshit. 
Um, all the stuff you see on YouTube, 80% of it is a bunch of bullshit. All the conspiracy theory stuff, all that is done intentionally to shun people away from finding out, in essence, what these uh, you know, fraternal orders, esoterical societies, or this occult information is about. Um, having said that, I'm going ahead and bring in Brother Ravana now. All right, just to echo the same sentiments as my brother, um, this show definitely is not for the weak-minded, the feeble-minded. If you're uh, here to seek uh, opening your mind and dealing with topics that have been hidden or controversial or considered blasphemous, then this is the place for you to learn. This is the place for you to get that uh, information um, and apply it to your life. None of this that we share will make diddly squat of anything unless you apply into your life, do the work, and see what the results may be. Uh, this is not a show where we're going to convince you that you have to sign up for a class. This is not a show that we're going to convince you that we have the ultimate secret. This is not a show where we're going to promise you great herbs and, you know, give you some quick fix solutions. Your problems, your issues, your traumas, your wounds, your behavioral problems stem from far deeper, far longer issues than any herb or anything else can quick fix it. You're going to have to do intense work, and to do that, you can't be afraid of the darkness. Darkness in the sense of going into your subconscious mind, going into your abyss, and tapping into things that have long been buried or hidden there that block you from reaching your latent potential. If you're ready for that, then keep listening. If you're not ready to face yourself and you want to be glorified and called the original goddess, the original god, and you want to be worshipped, go find somewhere else where they massage your ego. Otherwise than that, if you're really, really ready, let's get cracking and popping into tapping into that subconscious mind and opening up the areas that you need the most help with. We're not doing it for you. We're just giving you methods or terminology or schemes or things that you may use to get there. And if you're open-minded enough, then it'll it'll benefit you some way, somehow. If not, keep it moving. Peace. All right. Oh, and, and again, you said something. This path, and, and, and as we get into vampirism shortly, this, this path is about uh, you know, making yourself, you know, a bit uncomfortable so you can challenge yourself to bring the best out in you. Um, and and that's the thing that I think some people fear. They get caught up in complacency and, you know, they get set in their ways and doing certain things. And, you know, when new things, you know, tend to come their way, that kind of challenges that. That's kind of where the fear kicks in. But we're going to talk a little about that and the elements of vampirism vampirism in a minute uh but real quick some quick announcements i'm going to make um also i'll I'll remind people again at the end of the show um uh just a reminder the some have contacted me already um next week um saturday um january 27th hollywood florida cultural expressions we will be doing the ritual of the nine angles uh that's going to start at 7 p.m um again you need to be in the all black uh attire and you must have a mask to conceal your face. Uh, People are emailing me. It's on the flyer, but people are emailing me what type of mask. That's your call. Um, As long as it's something to conceal your physical face for the ritual, um, you decide on that. We'll explain afterwards. Um, A mask is required 
to participate in the ritual. If I just want to make this clear, if you do not bring a mask, you will not be able to do the ritual. Because, again, I'm not sure why there's a little bit of confusion. It's crystal clear on the flyer. Um, so I want to put that out there if you are uncertain. Some people have emailed about that. If you are interested in attending the ritual and you have not received the information uh, and you would like to, um, you can email us here at the radio station at khnum19 at gmail.com, and we get that information over to you. It has the time, address, location, contact info. All the information you need is on that flyer uh, from the attire, start time. Everything is on there. Um, that's the reason why we send out those communications. So how it's written on there, that's how it is. Don't try to read into it and interpret it your own way. It's, that's pretty much the simple instructions that's on there. All right, so that will take place next Saturday, um, January 27th at 7 p.m. Uh, after that uh, ritual, myself and Brother Ravana Noon, we will be teaching a detailed class on the nine angles, what they are, what they represent, um, and how it is in relationship to you and your spiritual journey on this path and growing. That's the key. Um, the only thing I will say about the ritual, it's a deep introspective of yourself. You'll be taking a real long, hard look uh, in analyzing yourself, and, and you will come out of the ritual understanding your strengths, your weaknesses, what it is you need to work on, what it is you need to correct. Um, and and you'll, you'll tap into a lot of things that you, you may or may not know is actually there, as, as Brother Ravon Anun used the term, uh, you know, embedded in the subconscious mind. Uh, the class afterwards will help expound further on it. You'll have a chance to ask, you know, questions uh, about the ritual uh, or, or topics in relation to the ritual. Um, so this is kind of how we've set the format up now. We, 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 it, we've seen it's worked better for the last several times we've done it where we do a particular ritual and, and, and have a uh, question and answer session afterwards uh, on that particular ritual, which it'll branch out into other areas, but we want to stay focused, uh, you know, on that topic because uh, sometimes just going to free-for-all uh, doesn't work and you don't get that much accomplished. So anyway, for those that are attending, we do know some, a uh, couple that are traveling from out of town, travel safe because uh, we will not be on the air next weekend. Uh, every other Thursday we do this. So we'll see you guys out there on the 27th for those that are attending. Which leads us to tonight's topic. Uh, we're going to continue. Last week we started to talk about um, vampirism and the misconceptions of it. And, uh, you know, this illusion that left-hand path practices, real left-hand path practices, and that's why we use the term uh, if you look in the description of the show, we use the description left-hand path origin of ancient Egypt. Why we use that simply is because the origin of this stems from Egypt, and most people really don't look into it. Most of these left-hand path practices have their origin in ancient Egypt, um, and it's just not talked about because people equate quote-unquote left-hand path practices and principles affiliated with modern-day European Satanism, and that's not the case. Uh, so when we're talking about left-hand path, we're not talking about that because we found in our research a lot of people who claim to be left-hand path, a.k.a. Satanists, they're more religious than Christians. And we're not here promoting the antithesis of Christianity. That's a waste of time and it's ridiculous. 
Um, vampirism, you will find, as we talked about last week, has a lot of connections, similarity, and works in unison with Luciferian magic. Uh, you will see, uh, uh, even to an extent, you will see chaos magic represented in there um, and other left-hand path uh, practices uh, that you can tie or connect with it. Um, we talked about the three core principles last week. Uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, those things have to be a solid foundation, um, you know, when you're working with vampirism. And we, we talked about deity and, and a vampire creates a god that suits his or her wants. That, that, when, when we were talking about deity last, we were talking about deity last week in relation to vampirism, which was one of the uh, key foundations. So what we want to do is now uh, kind of take it now into some of the elements of vampire magic um, and the paradigms. We're going to go into um, Father Sebastian's book, Vampire Magic. Last week we used a book by Michael W. Ford uh, just to get some concepts. So we do recommend uh, Michelle Bellinger is another good author. She's put out uh, Psychic Vampire Codex, uh, the Vampire Ritual book. Father Sebastian has got a series of books out on vampire magic um, that has got a lot of excellent information. So we're going to kind of jump around. You'll, uh, well, we're going to take various uh, information from a variety of these books, uh, but we recommended those last week, so we recommend again uh, this week. But let's, let's go into uh, the Vampire Magic book by Father Sebastian, The Grimoire of the Living Vampire. And let's go to page three. We're gonna, I want to try to get into the uh, elements tonight and the paradigms. The paradigms are very important. Um, the elements we can kind of just, uh, you know, go through some of the key uh, things because obviously we can't, can't stay on, uh, you know, every single aspect of it because we'd be here all night. All right? So here's – if you go into page three, talking about deity, why I just brought that up, I want I to quote – um, the very beginning, uh, uh, a quote that he has, he took an excerpt from a writing from uh, Anton LaVey. And those who know, obviously, who Anton LaVey is, the author of the Satanic Bible and the founder of the Church of Satan, um, had put in there, and, and this makes so much sense, and, and I find it uh, where it's inserted in the beginning of this chapter, but let's read it. It is not, is it, is it not more sensible to worship a God that man himself, or in this case, female himself, has created in accordance with his own emotional needs. One that best represents the very carnal and physical being that has the idea and power to invent a God in the first place. If man insists on externalizing his own true self in the form of God, then why fear his true self in fearing God? Why praise his true self in praising God? Why remain externalized from God in order to engage in ritual and religious ceremony in his name? Now, I find that unique because that kind of ties into the three core elements of vampirism. Uh, You can't understand this path if you're still externalizing uh, this whole concept of deity, Um, this, this false concept that there's some external being that is controlling the course of your life. The only God in vampirism is the vampire, and that's the first thing they accept. Remember what said last week in the three core principles, if you remove yourself out of the structure of that, then everything goes out of line. Everything is, is, is out of whack. It just doesn't work. 
Um, so that's step one. Uh, then when it goes on to the elements, let's let's skip and let's talk about these a little bit. Ravana um, Noon. I'm I'm going to just not read through them, but I'm going to the, the key elements named here. We have agreement, astral travel, belief, not religious belief. We're gonna we're gonna touch on that real quick. Um, the real breakdown of blood. We talked a little bit about that last week, but we're gonna get into that intent and sincerity. Um, invocation. We're not going to go into all these. We talked about invocation and evocation last week. Um, meditation, which meditation you're going to find in any spiritual practice is key. So, uh, again, I'm just going to breeze through these because we're not going to stay on them too long. Necromancy, right? We talked about ancestral worship. We're working with the spirits of the dead. I want to start with this one first, and, and I'll explain why. Um, and then we'll go to astral travel. So I'm going to take a couple of these key elements. And we'll build on them, uh, the ritual chamber, ritual chamber, sex magic, shape-shifting, which is a very interesting one. Um, these are some of the key elements. I'm, I'm not going to get into some of the ones towards the end, the servitude, uh, I'm sorry, servitors, the shadow, etc. I want to focus on a couple of these before we go to the uh, paradigms. Let's, let's start with necromancy. So we're, we're going to cover about three of these, uh, some we already covered last week. All right, so here, the esoteric practice of speaking with the spirits of the dead. For, the, for, for divination is known as necromancy. The living vampire is a natural necromancer. And these practices, which are communion with the undead, are at the core of these mysteries on, or on spiritual immortality. However, there are other uses. The vampire can tap into the dream matrix of dead souls and pull out information. Some mastered the practice of exercising spirits of humans, animals, demons, elements, or even renegade, uh, Stradjoy Morte, which here in human legend, the tales were such as in Haitian voodoo, priests making zombies, witches dealing with demons, necromancers capturing and containing entities and spirits of the dead, etc. Necromancy is often considered taboo and forbidden to the mortal-minded. Yet since it is a natural to the vampire, this becomes a powerful tool of self-deification. These transmissions and messages from the other side can come forth in rituals, spontaneously, elementary, deviations or visions. This is one of the main ways in which the vampires or Stradjoy Morte communicate with us. So Ramana knew why I read that. Let's talk a little bit about what are the similarities to what say let's say somebody would 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 uh identify in African traditions as ancestral worship and the connection as, as it's explained here in, in the, in the vampire practice of necromancy. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, first of all, um, all vampires, uh, symbolically for just for thousands of years have been considered the living dead, meaning they're, they're half dead, half living, but that's only symbolic in the sense that, when you deal with true vampires, we are not dead, but we're we're connected to the the spirits that have just deceased. And the reason why we're connected to them is because there's knowledge and information that connects us to uh, an abundance of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that we can utilize in our everyday existence. And spirits communicate that from the other side. And all families have had a, 
an ancestor that was very vampiric. They were energy drainers. They drain energy from people. They absorb energy. So when you do necromancy, you're basically connecting and contacting to a stream of an abundance of knowledge that can be utilized for your existence here on an everyday basis. It is no different than when you're dealing with any other tradition. What is the basis of you gaining the knowledge? What is the basis of you contacting spirits? It's for you to find out information. The vampire has a special connection to that because the spirits also are connected to feeding energy or draining energy. See, most people think that if they work necromancy or they work with the spirits of the dead, it's just, oh, I'm going to give you some flowers and you're going to connect with me and you're going to, you know, just communicate and give me all this love and all this just dandiness. Is that really so? No, most spirits are seeking something from you in return. And many times what unaware to most of the practitioners is the spirits are seeking the energy that you have to utilize to, to open gateways for them to make contact on this side or still interact on the physical side of existence. As a vampire, we don't just go out there, let's say, uh, just a Russian roulette, whatever shows up, that's what shows up. We have a direct intent and purpose for working with the spirits of the dead to basically get the wisdom and knowledge on how to obtain more energy, to how to uh, use some of the knowledge that these spirits have gained after the fact and how to apply it to this life. And three, just to make yourself more powerful. So it depends on which spirits you contact and how you work with it, but a vampire works with it in a, in a more uh, ancestral way than just divination and just contacting um, spirits, you know, that just may be interacting or wanting to communicate with you. We, in that case, will always be the commander or the master of the communication, whereas many times people bow down to these spirits because they think of them as some holy, roly spirit that has higher knowledge and power. They don't. Most of these spirits are basically at your will, but they trick you into thinking there's some hot shit, and because you believe that, they can manipulate you, and then you become a servant or slave to them. So that's just, you know, some of the ways that they, they vampires use necromancy compared to just most people when they work with necromancy, most of them do it just to speak with their ancestors, their spirits, but we use it for more empowering ourselves, gaining the, the knowledge on how to get more, more energy. There's different streams of energy that you can connect to. Um, and some of it is utilized through astral dreaming, astral travel and astral projection on how to feed off of that current to empower yourself here. Okay. Appreciate that. Uh, And that's a good point because, look, necromancy, when people hear that term, spirits of the dead, and and I'm glad you broke it down like that, Brother Ravano, because, again, it dispels, you know, some of the spookism or, or false information, especially for uh, if you're a newer listener, I'm talking about, uh, not so much for people that are on the path and, and, and might be familiar with what we're talking about. 
Uh, but also keep in mind when we're doing the show, we also have to cater to first-time listeners so they can kind of grasp uh, what we're talking about. Um, and the reason why I picked that particular element was we talked a little bit about this last week, Brother Ravana Noon, how ancestral worship is is one of the core elements of vampire magic. It's it's very important. And you'll see it when when we continue this series, uh, when we get to the point where we talk about some of the rituals. Like the vampire mass is is a strong ritual that connects the, the spirits of the dead and the ancestors because they're invited to commune uh, at, in a portion when we do the vampire mass for uh, the offering that's put there. Now, it's no different, the term mass, even when you look in modern-day Catholicism, for an example, um, the symbolicism of the life and the blood, we mentioned this even on older shows, uh, the Catholic Church uh, uses the concept of transubstantiation, which is basically a form of magic. They're basically saying that they are turning the so-called bread and wine into the body and blood of their living Christ, which really technically is a form of magic. And then though people are invited after this process is done and blessed, people are invited to come up and partake in that feast. Well, this is a concept and a ritualistic practice that was done long before the Catholic Church organized its established religion. It's the same concept. The blood is, and we're going to get into that element to clarify a little bit of that. We talked a little bit about it last week. Uh, the blood is an important symbolic element. It's not the literal drinking of blood which when people hear about vampires, that's the first thing they think about. They go into this whole Dracula, Hollywood, Transylvania, horror movie uh, stuff. That's just, you know, stuff that Hollywood used and enhanced. Um, the blood is one of the most probably important symbolic rites uh, or elements in vampire practice because the blood represents the life, the energy force. So you will find, whether it's the Catholic Mass, you will find in various African spiritual systems the offering of, let's say, animal blood sacrifice, uh, etc. Blood is always used for atonement. It's always used for offerings. There's many different symbolisms and purposes it was used for because it represents life. Um, and so you will find even in the vampire mass, if you are a practicing vampire and you've performed a vampire mass, whether it's by yourself or in a group, um, you know that, that the ancestors are offered to come and commune and feed at that feast. So there's that link. And, and, and as we've always said before, the realm of the dead, they got it twisted. The realm of the dead is the realm of the living. The realm of the living is really the walking dead because you, every day, as we said before, every day you get up, you're getting closer to what they call death, which is actually eternal life. This is not living. We think we're living. And that's the illusion. So a vampire doesn't get caught in the physical realm. We're going to get into astral travel next. The vampire knows there is a higher level of spirituality, and that's where eternal life, or that's where understanding the mysteries of life and death exists. We know that this is just a temporary state in the sense, a temporary state in the sense that it's a transitionary phase. We, un we understand that. So when it says the vampire wants to live forever, I want to make that clear. You'll see a lot of bullshit in Hollywood movies that it's not just a fact of living on the physical or carnal realm because you'll see there's many, there's many aspects of vampire dealing spiritually 
is able to travel as the astral realm, which we'll, we'll get into that in a second, that's kind of going to, you know, clarify that aspect of it. So necromancy, spirits of the dead, ancestral worship, a core principle in vampire practice that cannot be acknowledged and cannot be eliminated or avoided when working your rituals. So a vampire's job, or well, well, not job, but a vampire's goal is to connect with the spirits of the dead. And you see the power in that, okay? Um, me, let me go ahead. Let me add this real quick before I forget. Um, we're going to do a show on the Sith again soon, but the Sith also, when you go and look into the Sith, which is very symbolic and close to vampirism because Sith go all around the, the galaxy trying to obtain power and they absorb power and energy from other people. They know how to take it actually from other people. Well, one of the things that the Sith also do is that they give great reverence to their ancestors. And the story of the Sith, they build pyramids and they encase their ancestors within the, within the pyramids and sarcophaguses and within those sarcophaguses are holocrons where they obtain wisdom and knowledge that that particular ancestor had, and they leave it there for the Sith that's the most powerful to obtain it. Now, if you think about this, this sounds very familiar, similar to what vampire, the vampire does. The vampire is constantly searching for draining and utilizing energy and power, and they're constantly searching for knowledge wisdom which leads to understanding which leads to power to become a stronger greater person than they ever have been so i just wanted to throw that in before i forget because mm-hmm. they're very similar in their workings and and ancestral reverence is very strong in both vampirism and what the cis do as well hmm. that's a good point yeah and when we've talked about also brother ravanan in the past a lot of these orders uh the sith order uh, we talked about the assassin order, uh, a, a lot of these assassin Sufi orders, um, you know, uh, Temple of Set. Uh, a lot of these so-called dark brotherhoods slash dark orders, um, they are very have a lot of similarities and connections. Uh, uh, when you look at the core elements and principles, as you just explained, like you said, um, there's a lot of similarities, um, especially the Sith, even though... Uh, we've done a couple of shows on the Sith, and like you said, we'll revisit that. Um, even though it's, in essence, uh, quote-unquote, a fictitious concept that was created for the Star Wars trilogy, but obviously you can see that it was grafted from a lot of these ancient brotherhoods or esoterical orders. Um, or you have, or, I mean, one doesn't have to be a genius to see it. If you study the occult, you obviously know by looking at the Sith uh, George Lucas and the creators of Star Wars obviously, uh, you know, pulled this from various different sources and they were influenced by it. Um, but the core principle, same thing. Um, you know, as you explained, we look at we got we're gonna we're gonna kind of go back to that in the agreement section. But let's go into the astral travel before before I get sidetracked. Um, but definitely, uh, it, it was good that you shared that. All right, astral travel. Mastery of out-of-body experiences and astral travel known to, to the vampire as flight or at the core of raising. Now, they use the term in here as defer, which is really kepper, awareness. 
meaning I've come in the band, that you, you have the, that moment of realization to, of who and what you really are. That's a moment of Kepera. We're always experiencing Kepera. Some use the term Kepera. Uh, as I suggested before, to activate your Kepera, a good meditation focus is the scarab beetle because the scarab beetle, you know, it activates or, or is a symbol of that representation of, of Kepera coming into being or coming into the realization of who and what you really are. So the aspect of astral travel to the vampire is one aspect of activating that, you know, that Kepera, for lack of a better word, or, or the example of that, right? And it says, in achieving nightside immortality, the moroid level of ascension and higher begins to focus heavily on these workings, excuse me, and techniques. Astral travel is simply projected. Okay, listen to this part closely because I have tend in my communication with people, and I'm sure, Yvonne, I know you can attest to this, whether it's emails, talking with people, whatever, people tend to spook this shit out. I got, I got to keep it real. I got to keep it 100. Yes, they do. Um, <laughs> they do. I've found that sometimes people make things a lot more complex and difficult than it actually is. We hear that term a lot. And I find on this path that can't be more true. Um, sometimes things are very self-explanatory and simple, but I found out, and I'm sure we all can test this to some level, people tend to make this a little more complex than it is. But here, here is the definition of it, and I like this definition. Astral travel is simply projecting the consciousness away from the body into the vast astral layer of reality. This is more deeply handled. Uh, you mentioned some other books. However, we will touch on within this book to supplement those mysteries. So please uh, look for more information on the book. I'll skip that. Astral travel is heavily, is, is heavily important for higher levels of vampirism and deeper face-to-face meeting with realms where the stridjoy of the vampire spirits, I'm just, I'm just going to use vampire spirits so people understand what we're talking about, exist in their natural habitat. The astral is an abstract reality, the place of dreams, visions, and knowledge. Here's a deep thing. Here lies the Akashic Records. We have people talking about the Akashic Records. I hear this all the time in many different conscious circles. But nobody really ever teaches you the practice on how to understand the Akashic Records. Okay. Did anybody ever stop and really ask that when you're here? I've heard comedic dudes talk about this. I've heard New Agers talk about it. I've, I, I've, hear, I've heard all these different, uh, you know, dogmas and groups, whatever, uh, always give you their historical definition of it. It's the records that keep all time and you know, all these spooky-ass religious definitions of it. But nobody ever teaches you, well, how – can one understand the mystery of the Akasha, right? How can you do that? Well, astral travel, why it's such an important element in vampirism, uh, that's one of the key reasons, okay? Then it goes on to saying the, the astral is an abstract reality. Uh, here the Akasha, let me skip down. I'm sorry. Here lies the Akasha records, the astral layer of the self and the place of emotions and thoughts. Being in the astral is akin to being in, in space, or under the sea, which is an alien environment, lucid dreaming, or being aware within a dream. It's a technique that is required to be mastered to fully benefit from the experience in the astral. 
Because only through lucid dreaming can a vampire truly differentiate between reality and imagination and validate if they are truly projecting. Right? Let me say that part again. And validate if they are truly projecting. I've heard people tell me stories about so-called dreams that they had thinking that they were astral projecting. So keep that last part very, very strong in, my, in, in, in mind. Uh, Strajoy Morte, or vampires that have per- perfected this practice, has mastered flight and learned to maintain an etheric body of prana, which allows them to interact with the corporal world effectively. They are disembodied consciousness who learn to tap and manage pranic energies in their human lives. And once the first death comes, they can maintain their conscious existence and reside between the first and second deaths. Now, I know that sounds like a lot there, especially the last part. Uh, and, but remember, as it said, this is not something that's easily achieved. Don't, don't think you're going to just uh, attain astral travel by reading up on it a little bit. It, it takes serious personal discipline. Uh, it takes practice. Um, it takes, you, you'll have experiences in the beginning where you get a little bit frustrated. Uh, but I would suggest, it, it, you know, it does mention it's a little bit more in the advanced stages when you're practicing vampires. It's not something I would probably start until I got some of the core elements down. But let's talk a little bit about this, astral travel, um, um, Brother Ravano. I know you're going to want something to add, add to that. The importance of astral travel to the vampire and how it connects them. And it kind of, we could tie it a little bit into necromancy if we could. Of course. Um, first, before I lose that, that train of thought, do you remember watching the movie Queen of the Damned where Leah yes. starred as the vampire queen known as Queen Akasha? Hmm. Anyway, yep. so, uh, well, the Akashic records that people have been saying forever uh, it's not just a a a record keeper of all your the world galaxies whatever knowledge. It's basically like he mentioned there. It's a record of your emotional state, your uh, knowledge or consciousness, and your experiences. It's stored in this akashic level in the astral realm. What's important about astral traveling is that. It is one of the best ways to execute your ritual. What do I mean by that? In one of the most potent forms of ritual, you should have a a target that you're trying to reach. Let's say you need a job, right, and you just had an interview. And the interviewer, you remember their, pers- their person's name, et cetera, et cetera. You can actually utilize astral travel, and of course, timing is perfect with this. The best time to do this is actually after midnight, but more so between 4 and 6 a.m. if you happen to be awake, because most people are sleeping during that time and reaching their level of dream state. When you're able to tap in, you're able to astral travel to this projected target, and if you uh, do it at the pro- proper time, they'll be in a dream state where you're able to actually 
get into their mind and get into their dream and plant the seed of you receiving that job. Now, that doesn't mean you don't go interview. That doesn't mean you, you fuck off at the interview and act like an idiot. That's not what it means. It means that if you sincerely want something, you do the work to get it and make yourself the most qualified, but then you might need that little extra push to get it due to whatever circumstances. So this is one of the methods that is important when you do astral projection or astral traveling that you can use. Another thing is that you're able to make contact with either your ancestors or certain spirits when you after travel. And at that moment, you're able to communicate and receive the information that you've been seeking from your ancestors, your family, or just any other thing you're looking for, which connects you more to the necromancy aspect of getting divination, but you're actually getting answers personally and interacting with these people. It's not just about meeting Prince and fucking talking to Prince because Prince passed away and Prince wants to give you some special message for humanity. That's fucking bullshit, okay? It's about utilizing astral projection for some real shit, okay, some real deal shit in your personal life that is necessary for you to reach. Now, also through astral projection is also the perfect time to uh, – obtain prana or chi or that life essence or life force from your intended target, okay? Because at that moment, they're easily um, releasing energy into the astral realm, and you're able to easily feed off of it without harming the individual, okay? So you can utilize astral travel for many different you know, uh, working, but it's most important to astral travel for a purpose to benefit you and for your growth or something else. Don't just go there and say, I want to just astral travel and fucking freestyle and I want to, you know, go fucking meet Run DMC or some shit, okay? That's not, that's some dumb shit right there, okay? There has to be a purpose behind it. There should be a goal behind it besides trying to sound like you're heavy and deep because you met some freaking, you know, artists and shit. Okay, that's that's irrelevant. In this realm, that's really irrelevant because it doesn't matter what they do. That's your personal contact, and they gave you personal information. Now, how you want to spin it and twist it, that's your choice. But it's usually for you to utilize in your subjective universe, Okay. And it may have an effect on your objective, but it's more for your subjective universe. Also, astral traveling is very important. If you have a problem that you cannot solve or understand, you may have to utilize your astral body to find the answer to that by, you know, literally it's like an out-of-body experience where you can watch yourself and see the bullshit that you're doing to help you figure out how to figure out some of these problems. So, the, you know, astral projection, astral power is really important. And it's not, trust me, it's not easy. People would like to think it's easy because everybody wants to be into this occult, you know, want to be magical and spiritual now and all this shit. So everybody wants to have some story how they have to project it. Unfortunately, 90% of y'all fools never did shit, 
okay? You created that shit in your dream, and you felt like it was real, so you convinced yourself it was some astral projection bullshit, okay? I'm just being uh-huh. real. A lot of people have never really experienced that, and they never even heard of astral travel until they saw the movie Insidious. <laughs> until they saw the movie Insidious or or, you know, they saw all these damn movies all, or they heard somebody talking about it, and all of a sudden now you have an astral, projection, astral travel experience. Bullshit, okay? Genuine astral travel is takes dedication and hard work a lot of times, and it's not something that happens overnight. Some of you have gifts where you're able to do it easily and freely, but overall you're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to practice every night until you master after traveling, it's not something that you could just close your eyes and say, "Oh, yeah, you know, I want to travel somewhere." And I do not. It's gonna be. It's, you're gonna have to be dedicated to it. I'm just being real because, remember, one of the things that we forget, and we brought it up on the the show, uh, the Book of Bilal, unex unrealistic expectations. Uh-huh. You have that's, to that's be important. real. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You have to be real in your magical working. You cannot create these unrealistic expectations and and expect that shit to really happen. And then because it doesn't happen, you're bitter and sad and upset or angry. Bullcrap. You did that to yourself. You can't go into the astral realm and say, you know what? I'm going to go talk to Michael Jackson because I want to know what found out that what really happened to him. And how is that relevant to your life? And how's that really solving your issues and problems? It's not. All it's doing is massaging your ego, making you feel super deep. But you're not, because your issues and problems are still there, and you're still in the same predicament as before you asked to travel. So understand, when you do this, create ex- uh, realistic expectations, meaning, okay, this may not be an easy thing, so I shouldn't be a, have a self-defeatist attitude and give up because I didn't get my way the first time around. You understand? So uh-huh. always be realistic in what in your workings and magic. Not just astral travel, in anything dealing with magic. Always be realistic. Okay. And that actually is a good segue into the agreement element. Um, this is important. Man, man look. Well, it's going to speak for itself. Let's go through this a little bit. One of the inner mysteries, the principles of vibrational vampiric sorcery and mastery of the three layers of reality delves into the principle of agreement. Without agreement, magic is lost and lacks any power. All of reality, be it the marketing propaganda of corporations, the confusion of politics, or the stage performance of a magician, requires agreement for success. Group ritual is a point of agreement. If individuals are not in sync, they will only fall out of the experience, mm-hmm. potentially ruin, ruin the ritual for all others. We talk about that so much when we do rituals. This is why a true initiation at the basic level is a statement of agreement. Many systems of spirituality and even culture have such rites of passage. Democracy is an agreement of the majority, and the rest must follow. But agreement can be manipulated and changed. And this is why the vampire validate reality and experience as individuals, and then when they join together for workings, the magic is most powerful. So the principle of agreement, 
Okay. It, it clearly states here. Without that, it the, you know, you're, you're lost. Now, this should always be when we you mentioned earlier the show we did a little while back on the Book of Blouse, some of the core ingredients of black magic. Uh, the agreement factor should be an important aspect you incorporate when you're, you know, you're fueling your ritual with its intent. What is the intent? Because when you sit down and focus on what the intent is, you're in agreement, as it says here, to make some – I like to do packs, as it said here, because I think packs validate your magic when you're working it. And I've, I've mentioned this a bunch of different times on the show. Um, Sometimes it's good to even use, uh, let's say, papyrus and, 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 and this enhances individuals' rituals, uh, writing that pack down on a piece of papyrus. Uh, there's a multitude of ways of, of incorporating this agreement concept. And some, it can just be as simple as a mental agreement, communicating that, you know, mentally. Uh, but I do agree with this concept uh, wholeheartedly because without that agreement, it, it, it serves no purpose, and it, it doesn't. It doesn't have a point. Um, we have to understand that, and like even like Ravon knew, like you just said a minute ago, when you were breaking down that whole, you know, similarity to what we're talking about now, uh, it doesn't just apply to vampirism. This 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 applies to to working a spiritual magic system in general. Period. So I want to be clear on that. All right. So that's the agreement factor. And then the last one I want to skip to, and then I want to kind of get into the paradigms. Uh, where did I go with this? Hold on a second. Oh, the blood. Um, I think this will really clear up the mythology on this whole blood and blood drinking. And, again, if you're, if you're, tuning, if you're tuning in for the first time, you, you've chose the uh, – a very crazy time to tune in because this subject is probably not really, uh, you know, for the beginner. Um, but we we try to relate the information and the topic so all people can can get it. So uh, again, if this is your first time tuning in, whether you're, you're listening, uh, you know, on the line or or in the chat room or or where we can't see you and you're live streaming, uh, you you really need to take your time and absorb. Uh, what we're talking about, because some of it might seem, you know, a bit foreign to you or bizarre. Uh, but let's clarify this. The last one I want to get into, uh, well, actually, no, intent and sincerity. We'll, we'll, we'll do that one, too. That's a short one, but we'll do that one, too. Uh, blood, and, and then we'll go into intent and sincerity, and that'll wrap this part up. All right, many claim that drinking corporal blood is the only way a vampire can obtain the energies they need for their emotional, physical, and spiritual balance. Of course, the vampire respects free will, but sincerely disagrees with this perspective as an application of the act of vampirism. So step one, it's saying right here, a vampire, our true practicing vampire, does not believe or incorporate the actual little drinking of blood. They're totally against it. Okay? That's step one. Of course, uh, <clears throat> They respect this free will, but still disagrees with this as an application. We have discovered and learned to be free from these perceptions and look toward more subtle forms of energy consumption. It will become clear which form of feeding is valid, safe, and efficient. Culturally, it is impossible to justify the need to drink blood. 
and there is no scientific scientific evidence that consumption of corporal blood blood provides genuine health benefits. Even though blood can be itself, even though it itself can be a powerful and 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 romantic ritual or sexual symbol, it simply does not it simply does not provide the energy that is of use for preservation of the self beyond death. From the vampire's perspective, blood drinking is most emphatically not a sensible path to immortality of the self. What did that say, people? That the the, the living practice in vampire is most emphatically not a, a sensible path to immortality of the self. So it's any real practice in vampire does not literally drink blood. At its core, the vampire archetype and legend myth and most literature is about immortality and surviving death as undead. If one cannot preserve the self beyond the first death, they are either mortal or have not succeeded with true ascension. Attaining immortality depends on the very basic principle of surviving while disengaged from the body. Once an individual defeats the first death and has no corporal body of what use will be the consumption of blood, what skills will benefit them when they exist in a completely substantial state? Moreover, how does one attempt to drink blood when they have no physical mouth? Those individuals who espouse blood drinking must look for a more pragmatic and achievable route to immortality. Medical science has proven that diseases such as HIV can remain dormant in the blood for upward of 10 years. Training one individual will provide two major impractical issues from the perspective of, of the vampire or interpretation of vampirism. First, one must have a screened and healthy donor from whom to feed. This requires extreme trust in a donor who must wait 10 years to prove their health in quarantine of sorts. This donor, donor does not leave, does not leave or turns on their vampire. The only result is the vampire is, is out of a source until they can safely screen and build a relationship with another donor. Human relationships are quite complex, and not all humans, as free will beings, are as obedient and loyal as man's best friend. They change their minds. Feeding sessions must be frequent to satisfy a proper thirst for blood, and certainly bread drinking is not efficient for the vampire. What if two vampires are in a relationship? Do they feed from each other? It is against common sense for predators to consume each other, and it is considered spiritual cannibalism. I just want to make it clear again, uh, before I finish this last section, when you're hearing the term feed from each other, you might be saying, feed from what? What are we talking about? We're talking about energy absorbing the energy. Um, there is an excellent ritual, and I, I believe it's, I'm, I'm almost certain it's this book, I could be wrong, uh, that male and female can do together to absorb uh, an individual's energy, and there's not actual any type of physical contact. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. It is against common sense for predators to consume each other, and it's considered spiritual cannibalism. Secondly, why would such an independent an individualist spirit be able to depend on anyone but themselves. Does this limit the apotheos of the individual? Absolutely. The vampire may wonder how blood magic relates to this discussion. Quite simply, blood magic is different from feeding on corporal blood. Blood magic includes body modification, sacrificial rites. In Caribbean and African religions, such as Yoruba and Santeria, in which animals are sacrificed in a fast in a fashion a little different from your neighborhood butcher, and such forms of art as blood paintings. If done in a sterile and safe fashion, no different than the butcher shop, these rituals do not involve the risks that come with the consumption of blood. So, 
before we do the intent and sincerity, Brother Romano, so we see there's no literal blood drinking. I hope that mythology is, is tossed to the damn curb because that's a hard one for people to get by. Um, let's talk a little bit about this. What, what are your thoughts on this on this whole blood drinking thing? Personally, uh, I think you're fucking nuts if you uh, <laughs> need to drink some blood. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Everybody has opinions. I don't give a damn. Um, there's no real need to really drink blood uh, because one of the main points there he made, uh, when you're drinking blood, you don't know what you're consuming, what diseases, ailments, illnesses this individual has. You're consuming that, and you're leaving yourself wide open to fall victim or prey to that. So when you do that, um, it's not logical, one, to do that because you're hurting yourself. Two, not only are you hurting yourself, but um, you're also could possibly hurt others because now here comes you just fed off of somebody who's tainted and then you pass it along to somebody. You understand? And then next thing you know, it spreads. And then you have blood diseases spreading from person to person. Okay, so I don't agree with people drinking blood. It's it's a logical one, two is not necessary, and three it's risky. So there is methods where you can increase your energy without having to go to those extremes. And one of those is learning how to feed off of the prana or chi that individuals naturally have in their life. It's nothing extreme. You can shake a person's hand and consume some of their energy. You can uh, make eye contact with the individual, consume some of their energy. You can have intercourse with the individual and consume some of their energy. The extreme form of, you know, like he said, spiritual cannibalism or blood drinking is dangerous, risky, and it's illogical in my opinion. And and I'm glad you bring up the prana energies because remember when we went over when we went through the astral travel section just a few minutes ago, it talked about working with those prana, that that prana or that those prana energies on the astral realm. So I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, again, I said what I said earlier in the beginning of the show. People tend to make things a little bit more either either they just turn it bizarre, or or they just make things complicated and and deeper than it actually is. So. Again, I hope that part on blood kind of dispels this whole mythology. Um, and that's why we kind of use the word vampire comes from the word vampire. Um, you'll see the pronunciation is a little bit different. But obviously you can see where Hollywood sensationalized this. And, and obviously in this day and time we live in with all this social media, uh, be it the Internet and, you know, we got all these different social media devices, you know, it's everywhere. So people tend to get their definitions, unfortunately, from Google. Uh, Google is probably the most, most popular scholar on the planet. Um, so hope that dispels the myth. Now, this last, one of these last elements, and again, we, we recommend you, you know, obviously when we're going through some of these elements in the book, uh, you know, 
look at the other ones on your own free time. But, again, we don't have the time to go through each one. So I wanted to focus on a couple of these important ones. And I saved this one for last here because intent and sincerity. Without intent and sincerity, all is lost in magic. See how it changed now? Now all is lost. When we're talking about agreement, that's why I mentioned earlier when we were on the agreement topic, uh, this should always be connected to your intent when you're fueling your intent for your ritual. I always ask a person, if whatever, again, we're not just talking again about vampire magic, uh, whatever magic you're practicing in general, I always ask a person, what, what is the purpose or the intent? Why are you doing this? And I get a little bit kind of, you know, thrown back when you can't, when they, that question can't be answered right off the bat. Because then I question, what is your purpose for conducting this ritual or practicing this, practicing this level of magic? So the agreement parts and the sincerity and intent part are kind of connected in the sense that, um, first, first and foremost, anything you go into in life, you should be sincere about it because without that sincerity, it's not the intent of, the, or, or of what you're trying to achieve or the outcome is not, it's not going to be, uh, trust me, it'll be difficult. It won't be in your favor. So sincerity and intent, Without it, all is lost in magic. As important as an agreement, one must be honest and come with a sincere intent to be able to direct will and energy. The vampire holds high standards in individual and community. When you go to perform a ritual, be it the most sacred communion or the simplest arts of vampirism, you must put aside the humor and fantasy and bring into full realization your own focus. Okay? So we can't, we can't negate intent. Or, you know, sincerity is thrown in here as a bonus word. Um, so that's, that's where we are with that. Now, what I would like to do uh, before we go to the phone in a few minutes, and we're, and we're probably going to cut this a little bit early this evening, uh, just due to some stuff that needs to be done. I spoke to Ravana Noon about that earlier. So we're probably going to cut this a little bit early. Let's just get into a few of the um, paradigms. Now, again, if you go into that same book, Vampire Magic by Father Sebastian, and go into Chapter 2, and he talks about, well, first thing I want to do is look at the very quote by Magister Dimitri from 1995. It says, magic is fueled, this is going to confirm what we just said, with will, agreement and intent. And that's why you always hear me use the term fueling your intent. What energy, what life are you giving to that intent? Get in the end, only results matter. Where have we heard that term before, brother? Mm-hmm. Now, now and, and, and mind you, mind you, when people ask me the question, what I should and should not be doing, and this is why I even knew this quote existed. I said, you should do, I always tell people, you do whatever you're getting whatever you're doing and you're getting results, that's what you do. It's that simple. And that's the key. So I want again, I want to put that out there again. Magic is fueled with will, agreement, and intent, yet in the end, only results matter. So myself and Brother Ravana Noon, we always gauge anything on that principle. Somebody comes to us and says, Hey man, let me build with you on this, this and that, blah, blah, blah. If we don't see the results from it, then there's your telltale answer not to fuck with it. It's that simple. 
So when we get these emails all the time, the question, what should I be doing? Should I do this? Should I do that? That's alarming in itself. But you do what you need to do, as we said in the beginning of the show, and we say every time we start the show on the introduction, this is a path of self-mastery, creating what you deem necessary for your spiritual growth and evolution. It's that simple. So magic is fueled with will, agreement, and intent, yet in the end, only results matter. Um, Let's talk a little bit about these paradigms, Brother Ravana Noon. First and foremost, when we look at these paradigms, uh, let's establish paradigms, first and foremost, are schools of thought and belief systems most often created by agreement on traditions, faith, belief, philosophy, and spirituality, etc. Each paradigm has its own flavor of rituals, theology, some symbolism, and per- perspectives, etc. Um, let's talk about the f- one paradigm that sticks out amongst me. Um, and again, I'm going to skip through some of them. I'm not going to get into all of them. Dark paganism. Okay? Let's talk a little bit about Dark paganism, okay? Um, I don't know if you want to add something to that, and rather than we just read it, because I'm, I, don't, I don't know if reading it is, there's quite a, quite a bit there. But anyway, I'll just take excerpts of it. Uh, amongst the various religions of influence within the esoteric community, the one that has had the greatest impact is what we know as Wicca. This is a neo-pagan reconstructive religion claiming to be one of the original pre-Christian pagan religions in the, in the English Isles. Okay? I'm going to skip down. Some occult historians claim that, well, they're talking, this is talking about Crowley and Thelema, and Thelema, for the basis of Wicca, that this is the foundational base or where uh, so-called Wiccans get their core uh, you know, principles. Now, I know myself and Brother Ravon are going to tell you now travels and experience. Um, I have seen that a lot, per se, in OTO uh, with the Lemites uh, or people that st- or, you know, fall into Crowley's teachings in some shape, form, or fashion. Matter of fact, the actual lodge that I belong to here, there's a lot of, a lot of people in that OTO lodge that are practicing pagan. Wicca uh, witches. Um, now, why? I couldn't tell you why, because if some of the stuff you are acknowledging through, let's say, the teachings of Crowley or Thelema are, are, are very adverse to that, but it's very, you know, and again, I can only speak from the lodge I belong to here and the experiences that I've had here. I do see the connection. So, Father Sebastian putting that here in this section of the book, I can attest that 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 is true. And again, why? I really couldn't give you an answer on that. Okay, not sure. Um, Then I'm going to skip down to. That's kind of getting into the wicker. I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip down to. I'm not going to get into all that because it kind of speaks for itself. But paradigms uh, for, for a quick minute uh, Brother Ravana Noon I don't know if there's uh, a specific paradigm you might want to build on uh, one I do want to touch before we finish 
is kineticism because that's gonna that's that's important. All right. Um, so I don't know if you want to add something real quick on anything in your thoughts with the dark paganism no. or anything you want to add on that. All right. No, so what it's I, just, just that it's just that it's full, a lot of that shit is fluffy and I can't deal with a lot of their religious exactly. mentality that they still hold. I just I just I, I can't flow with it and I don't agree with a lot of it. Um, but everybody's different. That might be something you need more of a ritual. I mean, a religious structure when you work your magic. But again, if it's religious structure, there's still religion. And you're not getting any further away from religious uh, control and brainwashing than you were before. So that's the only thing I wanted to say. Okay. Now, here's a good one. I want to spell this myth before. So I want to focus on Christian cometicism. The Christian one is interesting. Callus tree, the dragon goddess within, which is working with the Cali spirit. I want to talk about that. Uh, and Luciferianism. Um, but before I do that, I, I, I forgot about this one, and I don't want to skip it. This one might surprise some people. Um, let, let me read this. Can a Christian, per se, be a vampire practitioner? Most people would say no right off the bat, and most of those, or not most, all those people would be wrong, incorrect. Yes, a Christian can. Well, let's read this. Many would think that the notion of a Christian vampire as a contradiction and that vampires or vampires by nature are directly opposed to Christianity. I talked a little bit about this earlier. This is far from the truth. The obvious answer is that one will think the concept of such a combination of perspectives is not compatible and the individual would be a heretic. However, from the perspective of the Christian vampire, one is a religion, and the other is a spiritual and philosophical path. So why couldn't a vampire be a Christian? Vampiric symbolism is highly prevalent throughout the Bible, including this quote from the King James Bible, which can be interpreted as the direct example of the blood principle of the black veil. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it, it is for the life thereof. Therefore I say, Unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. We've been talking, we, when we went through the blood section, we were talking about how the blood represents the life. Well, there's your answer. Whoever eat it, it shall be cut off. That's Leviticus 17:14. Then it goes on to say, obviously, in this quote, it says, never to eat physical flesh, for the spirit is in the blood. Also, look at the communion ritual of the Catholics. I was talking about this earlier, which is to drink of the blood of their God which turns directly from spiritually charged wine to the corporal blood of Jesus, which, as I said earlier, is the process of transubstantiation. The sang grail, or the holy bloodline, is humanity has many interpretations. One of them is the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Some might even think if you look more deeply into the legends of the ancient Sumer, you would see the Anunnaki, who were gods, who came to earth and had children with humans. One can see the blessing of an angel, Strajoy Morte, in the story of the archangel Gabriel carrying the divine seed to impregnate Mary. Joseph could have been the corporal father and a Strajoy Morte, or vampire, a divine or spiritual father. This is looked at in many older traditions with demons possessing a father and impregnating a woman and the resulting child being the offspring with divine love. Can it or can this story be related to the story, and we're very familiar with this quote, to the story of the Nephilim, 
Could it be that Jesus was an Ephelium, a member of the Sangrael bloodline? The book of Genesis mentions the Nephilim. Remember we were talking about necromancy, ancestral worship, and that being a core practice of, of vampirism? Well, all, you, all one must do, even when you read the, you know, the structure of the Bible, ancestral bloodline has always been an important thing. All right, so now it goes on to say, now it came about, this is the particular quote, Genesis 6, to six verses 1 to 4. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whoever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. And the Philean were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Okay, that's why that quote, that particular part right there. Those were the mighty men who were men of old, men of renown. And again, just, those are just a couple of references. Uh, you can, when you get time, you can go through, you know, that book in its entirety and see a lot of similarities with vampiric practices. So if the, if the question is posed, can somebody who, let's say, is religious or on a Christian path practice vampirism, the, the answer is absolutely yes, because one is a religion, one isn't a religion. One is a higher spiritual path, as it made that crystal clear. And you will see elements, whether so-called Christians are conscious of it or not, you'll see these elements incorporated, vampiric elements incorporated in their traditions and practices. Okay? So that's the Christian section. Now, let's go to another paradigm of vampirism. Let's talk about cometicism. Uh, <laughs> and I think this is the most important part. If somebody would ask us, is there, uh, now we know the word cometic connects to Egypt, because that's the most common word people use, which is incorrect, by the way. It's actually a Hebrew word. Anybody that studied Egyptology wouldn't use the word Egypt or Kemet or cometicism because one is a Greek word and one is a Hebrew word. When you're saying Kemeticism or Kem or Cam or Kemet, you are basically just saying the Hebrew name for Ham of the Bible. And they'll say that this sprung from the Hamites, which again is tying you into Genesis and religion. So this is why we don't use that term. Uh, so that is, that is factually incorrect. But the Greek and the, and the Hebrew terms have become so popular these days uh, that that's, people connect with that, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so it goes on to say, Kemeticism is, the most commonly, is most commonly used to describe the religion of ancient Egypt and is translated as the Black Land. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Kemetic Vampire, notice it said Kemetic Vampire, embraces the ancient rites and mythology of the Kemetic religions. Such an approach is not unlike the pagan reconstructionist religions and revival cults, which came along with neo-paganism around the 60s and 70s. The flavor is extremely empowering for many vampires as a paradigm so old it has a depth of mysticism that is embedded in the human consciousness. Prominent vampire theological components that come from the Egyptian Kemeticism are the Ankh and the word Kepar. We just went over that. Kepar, Kepara, some say pronounced different ways, different spellings. Um, 
we just talked about in the early portion of the show, uh, what that Kepper or Kepper represents that you have actually now come into the realization of who and what you really are. Uh, when one has that moment of Kepper or self-realization, uh, again, that's when you confirm truth to be a reality, all right? Then it goes on to say, uh, which is used within the vampire as pronounced Zephyr, when I, we, that, that came up very early in this show. The Ankh represents eternal life and immortality, while the term Kepper means to become and transform. In the modern era, and, and again, that's why I said earlier, the Scarab Beetle represents Kepera, and I always suggest people to have that symbol uh, somewhere near your magical workings, I actually have a scarab beetle on my altar uh, because of that symbolicism and what it represents. In the modern era, Egyptian mythology truly embraced the concept of vampires originating in Egypt. Wow, Ravana, how come we don't hear nobody talking about it? How come we don't hear, you know, uh, uh, Pharaoh Allah Muhammad Zozar, uh, you know, talking about, you know, this concept of, of, of ancient Egypt? Um, so let me read that again. If you, yeah, exactly. Uh, so this this is kind of let me read that again. If you missed it, in the modern era, Egyptian mythology truly embraced the concept of vampires or vampirism originating in Egypt, especially with the invention of the Akasha from Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. And I know you bring up earlier that movie with Aaliyah a few years back, being Princess Akasha. Um, and what that represented, because as you broke down earlier, and we were building on the Akasha records, uh, you know, it's not just some place where, you know, some spooky place where somebody keeps the records of all time and eternity. It's, it's understanding the very essence of you, your emotions. When we were dealing with astral travel, uh, the real disciplined vampire who has raised themselves up to the ability to astral travel, uh, like when you were mentioning the prana energies earlier, that's important to understand. Because you're working in that astral realm, you're working with those prana energies. Whether you are uh, or coming to someone uh, and feeding off their energy, um, whether they're aware of it or not, um, sex magic too, because that can be done through the astral realm. It's not just physical. and We haven't even gotten into that part yet, and I don't think we'll have time to get into that tonight. But there's many different methodologies of that. Um, that connect back to these practices. But before we veer off to that, I want to finish this section. Um, to give you a little history, to answer the questions that were raised on a previous show we did, is the left-hand path, and notice we always say left-hand path origin of ancient Egypt, is this a path for, for, for Melanite people? And, and the answer is yes. Is it a wide, widely accepted mainstream path? And the answer is no, because of the aforementioned relief, reasons. But all of these principles, including vampirism and all, all these practices, I should say, of spirituality on this left-hand path have its origins in ancient Egypt. All right, so then it goes on to say, um, this, there, there is little in this way of truly vampiric beings in Egyptian mythology, save the priestesses of the lion goddess of Sekhmet, who are known to drink blood in their rituals and the spirits of the dead, who were not fed with offerings, which causes the spirit to come back to haunt the living. The relations of comedic theology and spiritualism can be brought into the vampire perspective with the correlation of many aspects. First, of course, is the Ankh symbol meaning life. Second is the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which offers a variety of tools for transcending death, 
Within the vampire culture are two dominant god forms and traditions which have sprung up relating to Kemetic religions. Ascetians in the Kemetic mysteries draw upon the goddess form of Aphet, which is the older and Kemetic term for Isis. This term roughly means the throne and is considered the force and power behind the pharaohs and kings. Since the earliest times of Kemetic religions, Aphet has also been considered by many to be the mistress of magic because she's highly skilled in the concept of Heka or Egyptian magic. And remember, we've talked about in previous shows, everybody always gives this fluffy definition of Aphet or Isis. She's the mother goddess and, uh, you know, and nurturing and mothering and, you know, let me cuddle you. And they make Aphet always look like this, this, this very timid, motherly nature force. But remember, don't be fooled by that bullshit because when you read the story of how Aphet got the sacred word from Ra, she used some serious magic to do that. And we've had this topic. I hear men get mad when they hear that, like that was disrespectful. No, it wasn't. Her as a female, she had just as well the right to know that knowledge as a man did. But when a man does it, uh, for some reason, it's, it's acceptable. And Asset didn't play by those rules, this ancient form of Asset that it's talking about, that understood the mysteries of Heka or Egyptian magic. Because in this system, if it's there, it's fair game. There is none of that, uh, you know, I'm here and you're there shit. The only thing that separates I'm here and you're there is how much work you put in. So if you ain't putting in no work and you ain't got the experience, then you're down there. If you're putting in the work, and it don't matter if you're a he or a she, that's irrelevant. If you're putting in the work, then you're going to be up here. So when you read that story, she was putting in the work. And she understood the mysteries of Hector. And this is a form of asset that's never talked about uh, barely in any of these quote-unquote comedic circles. All right? Then it goes on to say uh, the current of asset relates to the aspect of the Calis tree. This is now dealing with Cali. And we didn't even get into Cali with this. That, that's going to be the next section, uh, the Calisi tree or, or activating the dragon goddess. Um, when you work with vampirism in, in relationship to Cali, uh, there's a powerful sex ritual in activating the dragon goddess, uh, which is actually in this particular book. Um, that's really nothing to fuck with if you're not ready. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've seen that mess a lot of people up because uh, – they thought they were ready for that. I would recommend you read that. And, they, and again, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are ready for it. But when you're doing some of these particular rituals that we're discussing in, these, in, in this section here, don't do it because you like it. Do it because it serves a purpose. It serves a need. And, of course, when we were talking about sincerity, intent, and agreement, make sure it lines up in accordance with that. Because if you find out you just do it to be doing it, uh, then you, you're going to get yourself fucked up somewhere down the road. Trust me when I tell you that. All right, then it goes on to say, uh, the current of asset relates to the aspect of the Kali or Kali's tree, and many a soror and fratter strongly find their relationship with her as a patron. Setians are the older yet not as common relation with the vampire culture as the current of Set. Uh, Set is known in this tradition, too, of vampirism as the prince of darkness, as the ultimate vampiric uh, uh, god or, 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 or concept of absorption, uh, the most powerful. 
all right? And set is very much embraced by modern man's left-hand path of cult traditions. In fact, the very, the very first organized vampire order, the order of the vampire was within the temple of set, uh, and that's a fact. Show how strong the god form is. Set is the god of the desert, the red god, and has other names, uh, the Greek names to took. Uh, you'll hear the term Seth in various writings. Seth is often considered to correspond with the Greek god Typhon, and many consider magic of the Setians Typhonian magic. Set, even though not considered inside comedic mysteries, is thought a necessary force within the universe. Most often, Set is related to the jackal, sometimes also called the hyena, but is also represented by the pig, ass, and hippopotamus. That's why one of the things you'll find in a lot of the Egyptian mysteries um, and we could probably build on this real quick, uh, Brother Ravana Noon, because this is a good section. There's actually a little more. I definitely want to get through the rest of this. Wow, actually, yeah, there's this. Um, there's just always been this mystery. What is the animal mass that's a representation that you see of set? And this is an inter- interesting topic. When you talk to people, the aforementioned things, you'll see people will say, yeah, it looks like a, some form of a pig. Oh, no, it looks like an uh, 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 ass, or it looks like a hyena. It looks like a, can kind of look like a jackal. It can get confused sometimes with Anubis. Now, I want people to think real quick. Why is it there's not a clear-cut definition on symbolically what set represents or, or is able to be identified as one of these so-called animals? Well, here's, here's, here's a little science or mystery behind that. Because, I, again, when I dialogue with people this over the years, it's, it's, very, it's, a, it's a funny conversation in the sense that it's an ongoing and ongoing and ongoing conversation that can be, we can talk about it all day. People perceive things differently. That, that's what's unique about set. Set represents that perception. This is why you can't clearly identify what that animal is. And this is why you get a multitude of different answers. Because nobody can definitively say that's what set is. And it's nowhere recorded in any writings. No, it's not recorded in any Egyptian records exactly what the identification symbology of the animal mass that set wears. There's a reason for that. Think hard on it. Part of it was what I just said. Uh, you want to add something to that? Go ahead, bro. Okay. Um, yeah, so reflect on it. I think where people get lost in understanding the mystery is they're trying so hard to figure it out. And in the, in the, in the whole attempt of trying so hard to figure it out, they're missing the symbolic mysteries that's in relation to themselves, their nature, their personality, and what it really represents. That's why it's so mystifying because you're not going to ever have a clear cut answer on that. And that was done intentionally. Uh, when that concept was presented. Uh, so I wanted to throw that in there because, as it mentioned, uh, that aspect of set. Um, then it goes on to say, uh, oftentimes set is seen as a chimera-like animal with square ears and a forked tail, which to this day remains a mystery to Egyptologists. That's why I was saying what I was just saying a minute ago. They have no idea. This animal may actually exist. It is known as a typhoonian or set animal in the form of a wild dog called a Shah, and may have been captured in northern Egypt. Many consider the Setians the opposite of the Assetians, 
because Set was the god who murdered Usir. Now, remember, we said that whole story. We did shows on that a while back. The story of Set, I want to make this clear, because people turn this into some Jesus, God, devil shit, and this is where they get completely confused, never understand any Egyptian mysteries, never grow as a vampire because they're still religious and they just don't realize it. The story of Set whooping Osiris' ass is a representation of you conquering your weaknesses. Osiris represents the weak part of your nature, contrary to belief. People think this whole Osirian cult, it's fluffy. It's just like being a, a, a black Muslim or a black Hebrew Israelite. You think you're doing something, you know, righteous when you're really uplifting the weaker side of yourself. So the story is relating what goes on inside of you every day, the battle you face every day. So when the isolated consciousness rises up, one is able to tap into the isolated consciousness and conquer their weaknesses and turn them into strengths. So the story of Set, you know, eliminating or killing Osiris is a representation of you killing your weaker self that's holding you back. It's a symbolic aspect. And this is what Set represents, and this is why they say here they use the concept in this particular excerpt that Set is in opposition to the Assetians because of the slaying concept of Osiris. So we had posted a picture. I, I, I forgot how long ago we did that, Ravon. We had put some advertisement <clears throat> out. Uh, what was it? Was it was it for one of the shows? And remember all the emails we. <laughs> Yeah. Remember all the emails yeah. we got? Tell, tell the people some of the emails, what they said. Uh, how dare us disrespect our Lord and Savior, Heru, um, who, <laughs> who is the light and the life. Um, you know, that's, that's not like disrespectful to, to the gods. Go yeah, that's disrespectful to the gods, disrespectful to the comedic culture, all this bullshit. And, and they not, don't they don't realize they don't realize you're still under a Christian mindset if you feel like that or think like that. The point of right. putting the, the the flyer out there was to show you that the concept of set has been misconstrued by religious mentality, and we're smacking the shit out of religious mentality that's been encasing and holding us back from reaching our potential. That's correct, and I remember. It was either we did that. It was either 2014 or 15. I can't remember, but I remember calling you and I said, "Look, man, we're going to use this particular image." We had stumbled across it on the internet. I said, "We're going to use this particular image." We had discussed it, and I said, "Watch all the emails come in, all the religious people." Oh, man, let me tell you something, man. As soon as that image went out, my my email box was flooded, and from spooky one to spooky two on down to spooky three, four, five, six, and seven. And just like we just said, it just goes again to show you how a lot of people are still, I don't care if you call yourself comedic or whatever, they're still caught up in that, in that religious mindset, which we, we, we thought was kind of interesting. It was an experiment, and it pretty much worked. Um, then it goes on to say, however, in modern culture, these are simply two different comedic currents that are applied in various ritual aspects depending on their usage. That's why we did the triad of light and darkness ritual. A real black adept knows how to use the light energies or the Osirian energies or the Ascetian energies, if you want to call it that, and the darker energies because they both serve a purpose. The difference between this path and other paths is this is the only path that incorporates both. It doesn't just say 
use one without the other, but it does say the darker aspect of it is more powerful because the differences in all these other fluffy paths, it's always one-sided. It's about just the light and concentrate on, the, on, on coming into the light, etc. A black adept knows how to harmonize both energies. When we did the triad of darkness and light ritual, uh, for those that actually participated in it, they got that understanding now because now they understand how to harmonize, not balance. We don't use that term. How to harmonize both of those energies because as it says here, let me repeat, as it says here, they are just two different comedic currents that are applied in various ritual aspects depending on their usage. How many times have we said on the show, one of the, one of the key things in being a black adept is understanding how to use these energies and when to apply them. That's the same thing it's saying right there. That's what a black adept has to, has to know how to do. So it doesn't mean we don't use the concepts of what, say, asset or seer represents, because sometimes we need that current or energy to balance certain things out that's going on. But we know that's not the dominant side. We know to be in control, you have to be, for lack of a better word, that isolated consciousness dealing with that uh, set-like current or energy, right? Then it goes on to say, they are not commonly called upon at the same time because set, this is what Ravana knew and you were just saying, because set was demonized as the murderer of the lord of the black land and has been related to many modern concepts of the devil. Of course, there are many other elements of the Egyptian religion which come into play within vampire community. These range from a variety of interpretations and influences, but remember, there is no unbroken tradition of Kemeticism, contrary to the claims of some groups. And that means to all the groups out there that think that there's only one way, is what this is basically saying, and it's just that way only, that is not true, completely wrong. Uh, so that finishes that section on, uh, and I think that was, that had a lot of good shit in it. That hopefully clears up does this particular path, vampirism, have a connection to ancient Egypt? And the answer is most definitely yes. You would have to be completely um, uneducated, unknowledgeable um, in your studies to say that this does not have its place uh, in ancient Egypt. And as we said on older shows, even when you go uh, uh, back to the fourth dynasty of ancient Egypt, the Pharaoh Unus, we mentioned that a bunch of times, he was probably the first individual in that pharaoh lineage that mastered the art of vampirism and absorption of the gods. Uh, just go do your research. Now, what I want to get into the dragon goddess with them, uh, this is dealing with the Kali aspect. And then we'll finish with Luciferianism, uh, Brother Rubano, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, All right. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. I just want to finish with these two. I didn't, I didn't plan on actually going through all this, but I – I know we're going to continue on this topic, and if we don't knock some of this material out, we'll be stuck on it forever. So we'll finish with these last two, and then we'll take a few calls. We're not going to take much, only because we're pressed for time. And as I said earlier, unfortunately, we have some stuff to do. So I don't know if we're going to be able to take really many calls this evening. So we apologize for that. I just want to say that in advance. And again, real quick before I forget, uh, I announced it in the beginning of the show. Uh, Again, remember, uh, if you're going to attend the event January 27th, um, if you need information on that event, uh, that's for the Ritual of the Nine Angles. Uh, you can email us here at the radio station, khnum19 at gmail.com. 
for that ritual that's going to take place Saturday, January 27, 7 p.m., Culture Expressions in Hollywood, Florida. Um, all the information is on the flyer. Um, one thing I do want to put out there, even though it's on the flyer, you do need a mask to participate in this ritual. All right. Let's, I'm going to breeze through this. Uh-huh. Yeah, let me uh, kind of – yeah, let, let, let's breeze through this. Uh, the Dark Mother Maiden and Chrome, the queen and spirit of vampire witch current, goes by many names, from Lilith to Kiket to Kali. Her divinely feminine spiritual current manifests through the word. Kali's tree amongst the vampire family. These are the ladies who are true vampire witches and embody the feminine current of Kali's tree. So listen closely now to female left-hand practitioners of the left-hand path. Listen closely to this. With a defined enthusiasm, Lilith, the mother of the night, seduction, feminism, and empowerment is the most common representation of the current. But this energy goes by many names, including Kali, Hel, Sekhmet, Aset, Isis, Ishtar, etc. Like Lilith and Lilians are very much in touch with their femininity and sexuality. The concept of the vampire witch is, is as a powerful and emancipated lady who has embraced the vampire spirit as a tool of empowerment from the feminine perspective. This form of witchery is not inspired by the modern Halloween witch temper with broomsticks, black cats, and cauldrons. That's important to understand. When we say witches, that's not what we're talking about. I just want to make sure if you're a newer listener, you're clear on that. The vampire witch sits up on the throne of the dragon goddess within as a serpent of draconian inspiration. They scoff at the cultural limitations put on women and use seduction, charm, cleverness, beauty, sensuality, intellect, alternative thinking, reason, knowledge, and glamour as elements in their lives. So I ask you females, are you, are you possessing those characteristics? That was a lot there, Ravonna. No, that was a lot of shit there. Yes, of course, the vampire witch is elegant, seductive, primal, romantic, and genuine libertine. She never will respond to anyone's opinion of her sexual business or other interests and choices if they are criticized. She is not fearful to be a lady and enjoy the flesh and spirit in whichever portion she chooses. If she wants a man, she goes for him, either aggressively or subtly, or some concoction of her own. Think of a pirateess, Texan lady, or meadow girl who is elegant and cultured enough so a gent could take her home to meet his conservative parents or to an elegant night at the opera. Today, more than during any other era, there's a free place for the vampire witch to rule her own dream, grasp the chalice of life, and rise within a culture which praises the very elements that she is. Let men worship and respect her, yet honor and return worship to those men who naturally or intentionally relate to the virtues or values of the vampire knight. Okay? That's a brief definition of the callous tree or the dragon goddess within representing that feminine energy of vampirism. So, that should be clear on the feminine aspect of the place of the female vampire. That's how a female vampire, or, or the characteristics, or how she conducts herself. That's completely opposite how mainstream society in the world uh, says a female should, you know, conduct herself. Um, I don't know if you want to add something to that, uh, Brother Ravana Noon, before we go to Luciferianism real quick. There's a short section on that. Nope, keep it going for sake of time. All right, last thing, uh, last section I want to get in, and this is short, not not a short topic because Luciferianism is vast. We're just trying to show you the paradigms. Remember, if you're tuning in and why and asking why we're breezing through some of this again, these are remember we're we're, we're talking about 
the paradigms that are connected to vampirism. So I want to make that clear. That's why we're kind of jumping to different areas. So you see the various different things that are connected to this and how vast it is. Because sometimes you hear vampirism and you go, oh, that's just this or that's just that. No. All of these paradigms are connected to this practice we call vampirism. Luciferianism. Luciferian vampire, from the vampire perspective, identifies with the pursuit of knowledge or illumination and thus are called Illuminati within the family. Symbolically embracing the spiritual color of the morning star or Venus, which is known as Lucifer, the light bearer, amongst themes attributed to this paradigm, which mimic the pursuit of the light, are high levels of self-discipline, predatory pursuit of knowledge, and spiritual excellence. At the core of Luciferian vampire is a deep-seated desire for knowledge, and they are thus very focused on the concept of Gnosis. This desire is also mixed with the personal quest to become illuminated and cannot ever be fulfilled due to the vastness of the universe, thus attributing to the reality that the road to success is always under construction. Say that again. The road to success is always under construction, meaning there's always work to be done. There's nothing is ever done. Even when you're working this path and you get results, if you stop, you're a fool. You have to keep working at it, doing the maintenance to keep that result effective. And I always use the example of people that work rituals for finances. They do it, they get a response, they stop, shit goes haywire, and then they want to know why because they didn't realize they had to stay consistent at it. Remember, consistency is the key on this path. If you're not consistent in anything you do in life, you're going to fail miserably. I don't care what it is. If you play a sport and you don't practice and perfect your craft consistently, what's going to happen? You're going to suck. If, you, if you're a baseball player and you don't get in the batting cage and, and, and work on your hitting, you don't take your, you know, your, your um, batting practice before games and work on your hitting, 99.9% you're going to suck unless you're one of those gifted athletes that are rare that just have that natural ability where they don't have to do much work, and that's few and far you know, beyond in between. All right? So that pretty much finishes uh, the paradigms we wanted to go over. Um, uh, I think we got I think I don't know if I'm unmuted him by accident I, I'm just going to bring in one call in the night because uh, again we kind of press uh, Brother Jack are you on the call? Brother yeah. Jack are you on the call? Yeah <laughs> What's up dog? That's my, I got too many points in my life now. Six points. <laughs> Yo, this is brother Jack. Brother Jack, what's going on, man? I know we. Had, I figure I'd bring you in uh, real quick. Uh, I don't know if he's still on here. I think he's just he's just in the chat. Shout out, uh, brother Seth Atten and brother Mike. Uh, uh, he's not getting no audio. Uh, it was his birthday yesterday. Okay. Uh, Happy birthday, Mike. Yeah. Why don't you want- I, he's saying he he's saying he ain't got no audio. Uh, Hold on. Let me tell him to go go out and come back in. Hold on. Uh, yeah, Brother Mike's birthday was yesterday, so we want to send a shout-out to uh, AK Brother Seth Abner. Happy birthday there, brother. Hold on. So what's going on, Brother Jack? Talk to us. I must, man. Uh, glad to topic today. Today is a good topic, man. Uh, and what you're reading is kind of – it kind of ties in, man. Like, it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, uh, when it comes to vampire magic, I think people get, I think some people get a lot, like, supposed to be one-dimensional. It's only, 
things are gonna look one it's gonna be one certain way, but on this path I'm learning is that everything is multifaceted, man. Everything ties in together. You know, it can go it can go to one minute, it can go this direction, one minute it can go it can go from Luciferian to voodoo, it can go to a different direction and it all connects. So so it's just uh good that, you know, you you bring it all together. Now now one of the I'm glad you bring the voodoo thing in because one of the paradigms we didn't even go through it. Uh, voodoo is one of the correlating paradigms with vampirism, too. Um, I was waiting for that. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you bring that up. Um, and, you know, we'll maybe touch on that on the next show. But, um, yeah, and, and, again, the reason why we did the elements, I thought this was a good show because we did the elements of vampirism with the paradigms to give people, now, after getting the core principles last week, now you got the foundation. So mm-hmm. our objective on the next part of this series is now maybe to get into depth on some of the rituals and practices uh, to kind of to kind of finish up this series. Um, but yeah, some good points. Um, again, uh, brother Seth Athner, uh, I don't know if you can hear us. I know you say your audio, but again, we are uh, you know happy birthday. I think he's like 148 years old today. Uh, not sure. No, nah, I think it's uh, brother 48. Because I'm salad. <laughs> The size of the last time, man. Yeah. Romaine lettuce, brother. Romaine lettuce. Mm-hmm. You must have romaine lettuce. No cheese. Uh, but no cheese, brother. No cheese. Non dairy. But uh yeah, shout out to Brother Seth. Uh, you know, happy birthday to your brother. But brother Jack, yeah. we appreciate it. Um I did give you a call earlier, brother. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw it like later on, my bad. Nah, that's cool. But we'll 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 talk another time. But uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, be, because we pressed for time this evening, we just, uh, I figure I'll bring you in because you ain't been on in a minute. Um, I apologize to some of the other people. I know we go to the phones for an hour or so. We just don't have the time to do it tonight because of stuff we got going on. Uh, so we're not going to be able to do that. So I just want to bring my brother Jack in to bring some uh, good energy. Um, that's pretty much uh, what we're going to wrap it up at. Uh, so, Brother Ravana Noon, if you want to, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, – Give you clothes in peace, brother. Jack, I'm going to keep you on the line, brother. Don't go nowhere. All right. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Brother Ravala Noon. Uh, you want to contact me, contact me at darkoccultist99 at outlook.com. Uh, you can also contact me and check out my YouTube page, darkoccultist99. Uh, if you have any uh, questions or uh, things you want to discuss, hit me up. But don't hit me up on bullshit if you like me or don't. I don't care if you like me. <laughs> So keep that shit to yourself, right? Um, but if you want to discuss knowledge, information, and shit like that, hit me up. Outside of that, um, I'll be seeing y'all in Miami next week. Peace. All right. We appreciate it, Brother Ravana Noon. Uh, and, again, if you are attending the event, uh, again, I'll announce it one more time. If you didn't hear and maybe you popped in, maybe you popped out. If you are attending the event on uh, Saturday, January 27th, 7 p.m. at Cultural Expressions. Uh, again, you, you do need a mask to participate in this ritual. If you want the information, uh, we can get that flyer out to you. Uh, email us here at the radio show, khnum19 uh, at gmail.com, and we'll send that information over to you. Um, very important, uh, read the flyer, because, again, as I said in the beginning of the show, I got emails uh and again, it still mystifies me why when something is simply put pretty much to the letter um, that people kind of re- try to read into it their own way 
and interpret it. It's not interpretable. It says simply on there. That's the instructions. Um, and as far as the mask, I keep getting email. Well, what type of mask should I get? That's the only point. There is no type. Yeah, Scooby. Yeah, you, if you want to come to Scooby Doo or Shaggy, that's fine too. <laughs> if that's the whole point, you you determine what kind of mask you're gonna wear because it'll speak volumes. That's that's you 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 determine that. There is no right or wrong or what I should and should not get. Got to get out of that frame of mind and that frame of thinking that holds you back. You know what I'm saying? Jack, I think you're coming as Lurch from Adam's family, right? No, I'm coming as Paul Bear. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <this thing. laughs> Hey, but look, it's going to be, as I said earlier, uh, afterwards, after the ritual too, there will be a, a class and discussion on the nine angles and what they represent. This is important to understand. The ritual will will communicate, you know, something personal to you, but afterwards we will we'll go into depth on the nine angles and their relationship to you on this path and your growth. Because as I said, it's a deep introspective of yourself. It's a deep introspective of your strengths and weaknesses, and you will come out of it with the realization of what you need to work on. Uh, and you might find certain things from that experience that you might have had strengths that you were not aware of. Uh, because remember, rit- the point of ritual is transformation. If you're performing mm-hmm. ritual and it's not transforming and changing you, uh, then it's a complete waste of fucking time. You need to ask yourself why you're doing it. What's the yeah. purpose? You know what I'm saying? So remember, we went through that in the uh, paradigms of vampirism. Sincerity intent was one of them. Agreement. Understand that when working your magic, because if you don't, you, you're pretty much wasting your time. Uh, yeah. And now, and now you see the paradigms and how they're all connected. This is not a limited path. You gonna say something, brother Jack? No, I'm just saying. I'm just agreeing with you saying. It's like it's all connected. And I, I've been I've been going this path for a, for a long time, man. Every I'm learning now. Everything ties in together. You no, know, I learned the, the different route, but it all ties in together. It naturally does. So. Yep. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good, good, excellent point. But anyway, uh, look, appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, again, you can go to my YouTube channel, Mother Nubia Inc. Uh, we got videos on there about this topic and, and plenty of others. I've uh, been a little busy this last week with some stuff going on. I'll try to get a video up sometime this week. Uh, I usually try to put one up a week. Uh, couldn't get to one this past week. Uh, so, I, you know, people send emails. Uh, sometimes uh, you just can't get to it. That's all there is. There's no uh, no particular reason. Uh, but we will we will do a third part on this. Now that we've got the core elements of vampirism, tonight you got the foundation with the elements and the paradigms. Uh, so next, next the last part of this series, we're going to focus on actual particular practices, uh, which, which that will kind of, uh, you know, help you to really understand how the spiritual path works. If you're spooky as hell, it's probably not going to be a show for you because I can only put it the best way I can describe it. Uh, some people get a little spooky with it. And remember, you got to stay grounded in reality. Remember, one thing Brother Ravana Nunes said earlier before he left was, uh, remember, when you're working your magic, have realistic expectations. Because some people go into it when fueling their intent with unrealistic expectations. If you're confused on that, real simple. Um, you can't work magical rit- rituals to be a superstar gold-selling platinum singer if you ain't got no musical talent, period. You understand that? 
That would be unrealistic expectations. You understand? Meaning there's got to be some basis, some foundation there, because some people set themselves up for failure going into something with those unrealistic expectations because they think working black magic or being added to the black arts is a fix-all for all their, uh, you know, problems with an unrealistic methodology because, yes, everything can be addressed and corrected, but it has to be addressed and corrected realistically. So that's what that meant when that statement was made earlier. Uh, So have those realistic expectations mapped out. That should be part of your intent process when you're fueling the intent to work your magic. And if you're not doing that, again, you're wasting your time. Remember, without the intent and sincerity and without the agreement, the magic is completely pointless. I don't give a fuck what it is. Okay, and that's just a fact, and it doesn't matter what system you apply that to. I don't care what it is you do or claim to be or whatever. Um, that's just common sense. That, that's all that is. And uh, it's important to grasp that, and that, that's kind of the message uh, you know, that was being put uh, behind when that, when that portion get in. Um, I would suggest for people that didn't catch last week's show, because if you maybe tuned into this show and got, uh, I don't want to say maybe lost, but uh, you might want to piggyback off of the first show and go into the archives and listen to the first show because it will help you probably understand some of the stuff that we had gotten into this evening. Uh, we do that when we do series like this because you'll see when you go in the archives, there's series. There might be a three, four, five-part series on a show. Uh, if you don't listen to all of them and say you start with two or three or four, it's not. some of it may not make sense to you because we, we go on a certain, a certain methodology we might use to get that information out. So, again, when this series is finished, if you, if you, if you hadn't caught the first part of it, I would, I would definitely check out the first part then come back and listen to this. And then that'll get you up to speed for what we're going to get ready to do uh, two weeks from now. So remember, we're not on the air next week. We've got the ritual next week. Remember, it's the first and third Thursday, 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Just want to be clear on that. Um, so we look forward to tuning in. We'll continue this, this third and final part on this series. Hope people are now grasping what this is really all about. Hope people are understanding this practice has its origin in ancient Egypt. Fuck the dumb shit. It can be proven. For anybody that thinks not, all you got to do is do the research. And, you know, we've, we've proven it time and time again. Because, as I said before, everybody wants to talk about all this fluffy shit about Egypt. And, you know, and Asset, the mother goddess. And and then Heru is the real Jesus. Fuck all that religion shit. Because yeah. if, you, if, you, if you're still approaching Egypt with that nonsense, you might as well just go back and be a damn Christian. Go back into the church and be a Christian. Because psychologically you're suffering from post-traumatic stress religion syndrome and you just haven't addressed it. And unfortunately, people have done that. They've left Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, and now they say they're comedic, but they're basically, they've just dipped religion in chocolate and they came up with black comedicism. That's all that shit is. Uh, you know what? still religious. Yeah. You know what, bro? I'm going to keep 100 with you. Your instincts are going to tell you what you're fucking with is bullshit or not. Some people just go get their mm-hmm. instincts. That's a real That's shit. Correct. So it's like, if you want to work true magic, you want to be, you know, you want to dive, um, like I say, delve your, dive yourself into the, to the magical workings. From my experience, that's a hundred percent trusting your instincts. If you don't trust your instincts, that's, that's right. You need something for you. You gotta trust your instincts. And don't. That's right. And don't conform. Anybody mm-hmm. tells you that this is the only way to do it, get as far away from them people as you can. 
because I, I had this discussion with actually she she's listening to the show. She's still here. Uh, Smiley with the locks, aka Sister Sonia. We were talking about this this morning. Uh, we were discussing this whole concept of people are under this illusion that they have to do things a certain way. And any in any even in the occult, because you got religious ass people in the occult, they think, oh no no, it has to be done this way. But always remember this: wherever you got something from, if you read it in a book. Ask somebody where they got it from. So when I read it in this book, did you find out where they got it from? After you trace the origin where it began, understand at one point, they were, the person that originally came up with it when it was first new, believe me, they were ridiculed and criticized and told that wasn't the norm. But as shit becomes popular, this, this is how simple-minded people are. When something becomes popular and widely accepted, all of a sudden it becomes the law on that. That's where the game comes in. So if somebody says, you say, well, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a black magic ritual. Oh, no, no, you shouldn't do it like that. You do it the motherfucking way you need to do it to make it work for you. That's the right way to do it. So when people ask me the question, what's the right way to do something? The right way to do something is the way you need to do it that it suits your needs to get the results you need. Remember that one phrase we read earlier? The only important thing is the results. So don't get caught up in that shit because guru such and such said you have to do it like this or or, or uh, Dr. Suchin, Dr. Kemetic Allah Zozar said, you have to do it like this. If you're caught up in that mindset, you'll never get anywhere on this path. You'll be a slave mentally to all of that nonsense. So we, get out of that way of thinking there is no right or wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is the way you need to do it that's going to suit your needs because a lot of these rituals that have been passed down through time that are structured don't always suit the need of the practitioner that's practicing the ritual. Because remember, that individual that originally put that ritual together, put it together for a specific need or something that was going on at that time in that individual's life or whatever was going on at that time in history. So if you're not taking that information and updating it in 2018 to make it suit your needs, then what the fuck is the point of doing it? Because I know nobody's going into the coming forth by day and taking those heck of rituals and doing it exactly as it's written in there because it wasn't written to do it in this day and time. But a real addict of the black arts can read the coming forth by day and adjust that ritual to suit their needs in 2018. If you can't grasp that and you disagree with that, you're still a slave. That's all there is to it. You don't have to agree with that. I can only tell you what I know from experience, and I don't expect you to accept my experience. I, I want you to create your own experience so that becomes a reality to you. That's the difference with this path and any other path that's out there. We, we couldn't give two shits what anybody thinks about the right and wrong way to do something. If you're still worried about what people think and you're still under the structure bullshit, then you will struggle. You will, you, you will have a hard go at it. Trust me when I tell you. Because everybody's looking for something or somebody to follow. That's slave-minded. I don't give a fuck what it is. It's slave-minded. I don't care if it's some conscious level of, uh, or circle or, or group, you're, you're, you're under a slave spell. So that's just the reality of it, you understand? Um, Brother Jack, anything else you wanted to add? That was it, man. You and our revenue did a great job tonight. All right. Well, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, two weeks from now, we'll see everybody. And for those that are traveling for the ritual on the 27th, we'll see you out here on the 27th. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Peace, love, and hair grease. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.